I had to read you these books and this one particular day I actually dozed off and I woke up to find you you had gone into the pantry and you got the flower and it was everywhere I wasn't impressed at the time but Jesus it was funny <laughs> that must have been an embarrassing moment <laughs> no that was it was just funny it's what kids do Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Theo, otherwise known as Mr. A+. I'm starting this podcast because I want to entertain people and bring love and light into people's lives as well. Rules for the podcast include no controversial topics such as politics, religion, past wars, weaponry, and drugs. And most importantly, it has a strict no covert talk policy. Today... We have a very special guest with us today, but this is not a celebrity and this is not a friend of mine either. Today's guest is none other than my mother, is none other than my mother, Vanessa Theo. (laughs) In today's episode, we'll be discussing some things about my past and some of her happiest or funniest memories from when I was a child growing up. It's basically a conversational podcast. And so, without further ado, please welcome Vanessa Theo. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, Mum, for coming on today's episode. Is a mother's job ever done? Probably not. Before we start, I have some rules about the podcast. Topics that we do not discuss on the podcast include past wars, shootings, massacres, weaponry, drugs, and religion, and politics and most importantly it has a strict no covert talk policy so for the first time in my life i have to follow your rules in this case yes okay i'll try now, i'll only try but all, yes that's what you've been saying your whole life yes of course yeah i have some questions for you but we're going to make this a conversational episode all right now do you have any funny memories of me growing up um there's there's loads of them because you did some pretty funny stuff I think the one that always comes to mind is the day that you're only a toddler and we're at the bank manager's and or at the bank and, and I was in the bank manager's office. So all of a sudden it went really quiet and this bank manager said, where's your son? It's really quiet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. Where is he? And we looked around and there you were under his desk. You had his lunch open. There was a roll that you were munching into. There was a pear that you took a bite out of. And we, we both just looked at each other and we went, oh my God, he's eating your lunch. So I felt so bad. I came back with like half a deli for the guy. I'm sure it was a week's supply of food. But yeah, that, that was a pretty funny moment. Yeah. Or, or, when, or when we'd go to the... Um, the the fruit market. Yeah. <laughs> one day, Kathy says to me, you know what, Vanessa, I always know when you've been here. I said, oh, really? I said, what's that? And she said, because there's bite marks in all of the fruit. And she said, I know exactly where you've been too. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you'll go to the capsicum, the apples, there's tomato, there's cucumbers, and there's these little bites out of all of them and she said I just pick them up and throw them away 
and it was you behind me taking a bite out of everything as I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, that's that's just two of them, but you, there's been some pretty funny moments with you. Yeah, I was a bit of an extraordinary child at that, <laughs> that age. That's right. Yeah, just your typical kid that just did things quite innocently. I suppose, but they're also kind of embarrassing as well. Ah, oh, don't be embarrassed. It's what kids do. It's what we look back and laugh on. I suppose. Do you recall any other memories or moments aside from that? I think my favourite was when you wanted to be a gangster. That's when I was 14. Yeah, you were, but yeah, that's probably my favourite. But that was because I was watching The Simpsons at the time and I was pr- pretty enamoured by Fat Tony and his and his gang because of the way they dress, you know, suits, shirts, ties, all that. Yeah. So you wanted a job where you could go dressed in a suit every day. Yeah. because yeah. I was, And also because Dad o- always wore that those kind of clothes to yeah, work every day. Yeah, but your dad's day. not a gangster, mate. No, he's not. No. <laughs> but I'm glad I talked you out of it. After I gave you their job description, you decided it wasn't for you. And also because of what Dad also told me. What's that? No son of mine will ever become a criminal. That's right. And if I did, he would disown me. Yep, that's right. And he also told me that there's enough animosity in the world as it is. And he's actually right about that. That's right. But we won't talk about that. Isn't that one of your rules? We can't talk about that stuff? Yes, of course. Yeah, well, follow your own rules then. We're not not going into that, no. (laughs) But I had to make a, a point, though. Yes, it was a good point. Yeah, thank you. What was your happiest memory or moment of me growing up? Probably the day you were born. Okay. Because you were so heavy. (laughs) So it was just really, really nice to have you here and not in my tummy anymore. So (laughs) that I really enjoyed. (laughs) The last time there was a Ma and Pa Kettle movie on was... On the 19th of March, 1994, and I remember that day because it was on Channel 7 at midday, and I went, oh, a Mom Park Kettle movie, that's an old classic. So what I did was I tried to sit down to watch that, and I was almost two weeks overdue with you, and I couldn't get comfortable, could not get comfortable at all. And being my first child, I had no idea that that was like, one of the signs of labour. So anyway, couldn't get comfortable, tried all day to get comfortable, couldn't enjoy this movie. And yeah, that night then at about 20 past seven, I went into labour. And yeah, so probably one of the happiest moments is when you were born. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Not only because you were here and I could see you and hold you and cuddle you and all that kind of stuff, but also it was a lot of relief for me, let me tell you, because you were heavy. You were heavy. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. As far as what the nurses told you, that I had thick, heavy bones. Yeah. At the ultrasounds, your your bones almost lit up. They were quite white. And, I mean, I've seen Adam. I was there for Adam and Olivia's ultrasounds, and they weren't anything like yours. But, honestly, you're, you're heavy. You're a very, you know, heavy-set guy, and that's why you were so heavy in the womb. Yeesh. So, yeah, that was a pretty happy moment for me. <laughs> I suppose. And I also remember Dad mentioning that he he had a lot of pride that day. Yes, he did. Yeah, I'll never forget the look on Dad's face, actually. Can you describe that look, please? Oh, he was beaming. It was like, wow, look at this. Yeah, he was beaming. Yeah, 
the, the only word that comes to mind is he was beaming. Ah. Yeah. Lovely. Probably a bit more on, on happy moments. It was probably, you know, when you reached your milestones when you'd start crawling and walking and and even when you'd just start feeding yourself for the first time, that was all pretty, you know, they're, they're all the things that you enjoy seeing your child do, the things that um, they start doing for themselves and just being independent. I was absolutely, you know, happy moments too was when you started to talk more because you were quite nonverbal when you, when you were young. So it took a lot to get you to talk, a lot, and it took a long time. But certainly that kind of unfolded slowly. But, yeah, that, they were happy times too, just to be able to have those conversations hmm. or even just the start of conversations. Nice. Yep. So they were good moments and they were very happy moments. Interesting. It, was, it wasn't a very uh, – I'll talk about a not very happy moment. How's this one? The one that I don't like too much was when I was pregnant with Adam – Right, you were you were just you were very little. I was um, about a year and a half old. You were actually I was two years okay, old. Okay, to be exact. Okay, yeah. you were two years old, right? So, what happened was in the first trimester of a pregnancy, a woman does get very very tired. It's like you've been given an anaesthetic. And um, what happened was on this one particular day, Dad was at work, and look, I I was on the lounge. We were reading books. And it was the one thing that you really enjoyed. So I'd just read to you a lot. All the t- In fact, yes, this was a good memory too. You would come out with like 10 books. Here was this little pint-sized midget with like 10 books that you were trying to balance and you wanted me to read them all. <laughs> so not only was I already hormonal and just very tired in the first trimester, but then reading books in the afternoon, which you didn't want to sleep, so... I had to read you these books, and this one particular day, I actually dozed off, and I woke up to find you, you, you had gone into the pantry, and you got the flower, and it was everywhere, it was everywhere in the kitchen, all this flower, I wasn't impressed, but it's funny, I wasn't impressed at the time, but Jesus, it was funny. (laughs) That must have been an embarrassing moment. No, that was, it was just funny. It's what kids do. Yeah, but it's also very unnecessary. Ah, well, as an adult, but not as a child. You don't know what that is as a child. You just do it. You see this white stuff and it feels nice and you like the texture and it feels like, you know, so soft soft and, yeah, like a cloud. Of course you're going to play with it. Yes, but... It's also unhygienic to stick your fingers in flour. Ah, well, just for the record, I did throw it out. Yeah, that's a very smart decision. <laughs> Thanks. If, a, if an adult did what I did with the flower, that is very childish. Yeah, it is. Particularly yeah. at my age. Yeah. Well, you'd be cleaning it up at your age, mate. Yeah. And then you won't do it again. Yeah. And um, this is also not on the, my list of questions, but when my brother and sister were born, isn't it true that I showed no signs of jealousy and took no kind of disliking to them whatsoever? No, you weren't like that. So I immediately accepted accepted them as my siblings just like that? Just like that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you had no issue with it. Yeah, you were fine. Not all kids are like that, though. There are some kids that get jealous. It's very common, but it doesn't mean all kids do it. And mm. you were one of those children that didn't. That's surprising. Hmm. Because when another child gets born, it causes the other, the, the first one to become an, an attention seeker. No, you were okay. 
Was I ever an attention seeker as a kid? No. That's good. I wouldn't say that. That is a bit of a relief to hear. Because mm. it's not a very positive quality to be an attention seeker. It isn't. What was the most challenging thing about being the mother of someone with Asperger's? Oh, God, the most challenging thing. There were so many challenging things. I don't know. Uh, getting you to to communicate because you were so frustrated that you couldn't. That was really tough. Um, so just, you know, helping you to communicate. And um, you, I took you to speech therapy, but you weren't interested in it. But that was because you were very much in your own world. So, so yeah. Do you remember? You remember being in your own world and, and we talked about this. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of still, still look back on that with embarrassment. Why? Because kids, a lot of kids these days don't seem to be like that. They seem to be more aware of their surroundings and what's going on in the world. Yeah, but you weren't. And that's what made it, well, they diagnosed it as Asperger's. They call it Asperger's autism, the spectrum, whatever, whatever it is. It's all the same thing. But... That was the most challenging part in, I think, in encouraging you to come out of your own world. I think it was the most challenging for you because it was very much um, an exercise of bringing you into the here and now every day. Right. And you were saying that you remember that. I'd like to hear more about what you remember about that because that's a journey. It's well, like a rebirth in a way. Well, from what I remember is that... Um, when I was a kid, I was constantly, yes, I was constantly off in my own world. I unwisely turned down a lot of opportunities to spend time with my with my siblings because all I wanted to do was sit by myself and just watch television, especially Thomas. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I was also disinterested in being friends with others. Mm-hmm. But that's because you were happy in your world and that's that's why. There was no motivation, no incentive, no need to be out of that world. You, that's, that's where you were. You weren't there originally. Originally, that wasn't like that at all. Up to about a year old, you were not like that at all. Absolutely not. And your language was very good. And it just digressed mm. at about that age. And that's when you started to go or become very insular and in your own world. But, I mean, you're not now. It, mm. it, you certainly went there quite fast, but, and it was a long process to bring you out, but you're out. Mm. Um, and do you remember going through that? Having to, having to be here and in the moment and yes, the I here and now and have... not being allowed to allow yourself to wander off to wherever you were? Yeah, I do have some memories of that. Mm-hmm. Around what age did I start becoming more aware of my surroundings and what's going on in the world and living in the here and now? At what age do you think you were? In my teenage years, I think. I think it was more so the early teenage years, very early. It started probably about 10, I think. Oh. Yeah, but that was a journey. It was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. No. It, it happened slowly. Mm. Um, but it was a journey, yeah. And around what age did I start become more keen on socialising with others? Well, you know when you became more keen on socialising with others? Probably in my um, teenage years, I believe. Mm, that's right. Early, mid, late? Yeah. Which one? 
<laughs> I've, for, I've forgotten. But I also remember when I was 14, I decided that I wanted to be like my dad. Mm-hmm. And then shortly before I turned 20 years old, I made a decision to stop being like my dad and just start being myself. That's right. Mm-hmm. And because I never really admired him for who he is. I only really admired him for what he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the way I see it is, he has more money than me. He's married. He doesn't live with his parents. He has his own place. He's like a king in my eyes. He's achieved the, the kind of life that I've always dreamt of, of living, but never really had the chance or the tools to obtain it myself. Well, you I think you've kind of already done it because you're the king of your own life. I know that you still live at home. I know that you're keen to have your own place. And, you know, if we're going to be honest about it, just between you and I, yeah. we're keen for that too. But the thing is, you're, I think that you're king of your own life. So you come and go as you please. You do what you want. You make your decisions. I suppose that would so be I think, true. I think that you are the king of your life, and I think that you have that already. So Yes, hmm. I guess. But also... I still have a helicopter. Well, that's your father. I yes, know. Yes, that's, that's who I was referring to. I know. I know. He's very overprotective, isn't He's, he? Yes, especially yeah. of me and, me, and, me and Olivia. I know. Olivia, because she's his little girl, and me, because I have Asperger's. That's why. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's, that's the way it is. See, I, I've always been the opposite. I like to give you your wings yeah. and encourage you to use them. Yes, but mm -hmm. also while I was growing up, I also remember the fact that you were also the main disciplinarian. Of course. Being the mother. Mm -hmm. What was dad's job to get his, get his butt out there and, and go to work and make a living to support his family? That's right. Because traditionally, that's the man's job. Yep. Just like how traditionally it's the man's job to mold his son from a boy into a man. Yep, and your dad did that. Yes, he did. Even though I did... A little bit of self-learning as well. Well, we all do that, don't we? Anyway, um, I was saying that... Oh, you um, said you don't want to be like Dad so much. Nah. Yeah. So, that, But that's the thing. I think a lot of kids grow up looking at their parents and they, a lot of kids aspire to be their parents until they start to formulate yeah. their own views on the world and their own opinions based on their own experiences and that's when they will start to form their own ideas yeah. and, and identity and it's it's quite okay to yeah. then decide look I'm going to take some of the traits from um, my dad but I'm going to adopt some of these other things because I think this is more right and there's nothing wrong with that no I would say that I did take some traits from Dad, but also I took a few traits from you as well. Mm-hmm. Which ones are they? The fact that, that I can be loud when I talk, mm -hmm. and I'm also pretty animated as well. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> yes, and because we also we both gesticulate. What's that? That's, gesticulate <laughs> I means... Ask. Gesticulate means when you talk with your hands. That's what Italians do. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Because you're that half... That sounded a bit sexual to Michael. <laughs> Because you're half Italian. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, even though my dad is a, can be a pretty overprotective helicopter, he's just a very typical, loving European dad. Yeah, he is. He is. And look, you know, he's protective, but I'm not. So I guess that that's 
That's a balance. Yeah. So it's probably good that you've got, you know, the yin and yang there. Yeah. So here's, here's the one that hovers over and, and makes sure that you're okay. And I'm the one saying, Tom, just let him go. <laughs> let him make his own decisions. Let him do his own thing. This is what yeah. he needs to do. Blah, blah, blah. You know what it's like. You've yeah. lived here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I've lived with you guys for 27 years. But I trust, I trust your thought processes. I trust your yeah. decisions. Um, and I do look from afar. So I don't totally just yeah. close my eyes and say, you know, it's his problem. I don't, I don't do that. What I do is I more ghost so that I'm at arm's length. Yeah. So I let you make the decisions that you need to make. And if I think you're going to fall over, I will maybe try and warn you and guide you and steer you. But generally, yeah. I find that you make really good decisions. Yeah. And sometimes you don't. And sometimes I will steer you. But yeah. that would be the case with pretty much all of my children. Nice. So I do trust your judgment. Thanks. I do. So whether you are diagnosed with Asperger's or anything else, I don't think it's necessary to limit that person because of a diagnosis. Mm. And that's not what I want to do because if I limit you, you will limit yourself. Yeah, I would agree. And that that. will inhibit your growth as a person. So I'm very mindful that I don't want to be, I don't like that society uses the word disability because Mm. you're clearly not disabled. No. But unfortunately we tag. So just using that tag Mm. where you have challenges that are tagged as a disability, what I am very mindful of is that I don't become a secondary disability whereby my limitation that I think of you that then I impose on you and you impose in your own thoughts um, then becomes a secondary issue. So that's something that I've always avoided. Yeah. And since we're still on this page, do you happen to have any advice that you'd like to give to any other parents who have kids on the spectrum? Mm, Yeah. I think that we don't necessarily need to be an expert on autism and learn everything you can about it because it doesn't mean that it applies to your child. Autism is a spectrum and it can be very mild up to quite severe. And I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there. When I did reading, I found that most of it didn't even apply to Michael. And I think that If I had to do my time again, I wouldn't have wasted my time on that information. And what I would have done was just focus on you and become the... And I am an expert on you, but I'm not an expert on autism. I'm just the expert on you, right? So, and go with your gut instinct. I didn't agree with what a lot of the educators were telling me that I should do in as far as your future. I didn't agree and I went against a lot of them and I did it my way and I'm sure glad that I did. I'm very grateful for that. You're welcome. So I give you my eternal thanks for it. I give you my eternal, you're welcome. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Another question I have is, what are some of the qualities about me that you find particularly admirable? Oh, I, there's so many. Uh, how do I point them all out? 
like you're because you're different, you're interesting. And every family should be so lucky to have somebody like you in the family. Mm. Okay? So that's the first thing. You give us a different perspective because you think about it differently. Your thought processes are quite sound and quite atypical, to be honest with you. It's just the way you verbalize it that isn't, and I love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. It's often I look at you as if to say, what is he going to say next? <laughs> but the one thing I really love, and it just blows me away, is what you do with dates. Give us an example. You have to do this for, okay. your, for your audience. Okay, fine. I love um, it. I just love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've finished listening to part one of my conversation with my mother, Vanessa Theo. I hope you enjoyed it, and please look forward to part two tomorrow.